to Mind the Gutter. I'm Haley B. Hall. Today on the pod, we talk with Robin Christopher from Del Norte High School in San Diego, California. With a background in English, but not journalism or design, and a passion for organization, Robin had no idea what she was getting herself into when she arrived at her first yearbook tech at San Diego State. Now, 10 years later, she's carried Del Norte's book to its first crown award. We talk about being comfortable being uncomfortable while interviewing, and how we know we have to look to the professionals for design inspiration, but we should do the same with our reporting and writing. And it really works for her staffers. Robin is, of course, our new best friend. She's smart and kind and super, super, super organized. Her students want her to become an Instagram influencer, and honestly, so do we. We are here with Robin Christopher, not Christopher Robin. Robin <laughs> I'm Christopher. Sure she's never heard that. <laughs> I'm joke sure she's before. never heard that. Joke. Never. Uh, so we're here with Robin Christopher from Del Norte. Norte. Norte High School in San Diego, California. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So we like to start this um, all of our interviews by just asking how you got into the yearbook world. Well, it was a little bit crazy the way I got into it. So I worked at another rival high school in my district, and I was the ASB director. And when the new schools opened, they kind of, let's say, forced moved people to the new school. And I loved doing ASB, and I was disappointed I was going to be an English teacher. And the principal came to me and said, hey, I have this job doing yearbook. I think you'd be great. You're a project manager give you some creativity. Why don't you do it? And I unfortunately or fortunately did not think about it. And I became the yearbook advisor. I, from that point, had to interview and hire a yearbook company. Luckily, I hired Herf Jones. And my rep at the time was Steve Bailey and his wife, Tamara. And they said, well, why don't you come to yearbook camp so you can figure out what you're doing? So I go to this yearbook camp. It was at San Diego State Yearbook Tech. And I walked in. I was a little late. I'll admit it. (laughs) And everyone is in costume with beads and they're all in colors and they're screaming, yearbook is my life. Yearbook is my life. And I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself (laughs) into? I wanted to turn around and leave. Luckily, I did not. And that's Luckily, how I... Steve Bailey spotted you <laughs> and forced you to walk in that door. <laughs> yes, he was a godsend. And now, how long have you been at Del Norte? Ten years. We just finished our tenth book. Wow, amazing. Okay. So, from that first book to now, yes. think about that time frame. What did you What did you want to accomplish in that first year? First, I just wanted to get a book out. And that was honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. Steve kept telling me it would be okay. But I mean, everything from how do you do a ladder to how do you put pictures on a page? I didn't know anything about photography. For goodness sakes, I bought them point and shoot um, cameras the first year because I just didn't know. Um, So it was really putting it together and telling a story and telling the story at the beginning of the year. We opened, we only had freshmen and sophomores. So the kids weren't as mature as when you get the upperclassmen. And I had 35 girls, most of whom were on the cheer squad. So Fridays, um, they were putting on makeup and doing their hair. And I'm saying, hey, you guys, do we have copy? Could we turn in some... 
uh, pictures. So for me, it was getting the book done. Like that was just my goal year one. Mm -hmm. And then going into year two, what from that process of doing a book, did you learn that, oh, I need to do this better or I should really hone in on this skill to teach or... So we slowly transitioned. So we really started adding one or two things a year that we knew that we needed to work on. And um, the first one really was design and packaging. Actually, maybe I should back up. It was font size. So when our first book came, it looked kind of like a picture book because we thought, oh, it looks so great on the computer. And we did not have a printer that allowed us to print. And the book came and I think it was size 14 font. It was just gigantic. So we started looking at what do the good books do? We got a showcase collection and just started analyzing what are they doing? How can we do that? So it was packaging, figuring out photo sizes, because we also had no idea of scale Mm -hmm. and how to do that. So year two, um, was putting it together and we actually had this really creative concept that we were trying to show how we were developing who we were and I had an artist who had to draw it and so we took all the pictures and took them back to like line drawings and then they colored them all in so we tackled something pretty hard that we weren't quite ready for but it it worked (laughs) so that was year two Mm -hmm. Figuring out scale and figuring out packaging, I think, is one of the hardest things for staffs to grasp, and especially with a new advisor or with someone that has never done a yearbook. Mm -hmm. Um, So how now do you kind of teach that scale? I always like to use the dollar bill analogy. So like your dominant package is the dollar bill and it's the largest space and then your next is the quarter and then it's the nickel and the dime and the penny and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you package. Um, but how do you teach it? One, I think it's one of the most important skills we can teach in your book right now because with the um, push for more coverage and more you know, modular design in the book, the reader needs to be able to figure out where do I go. So for me, we look at size and scale of that dominant package. Um, so we look at head size. We also look at our headline size. We, in our style manual, have set standards of this is going to be our dominant package. This is secondary. This is tertiary. This is our, I don't even know what you'd be after tertiary, but our <laughs> little inclusionary device that's going to be even smaller than that. Um One thing I do, I have a lot of beginning staffers every year with our school and how our schedules work. I actually really simply with them, ask them what is most important to you on this page? What is the dominant story you want to tell? And I have them tell me looking at me, and then I'll have them look at the page they designed and ask them what they see first. And usually it isn't what they've told me. And so we do that. I also focus a lot on white space and being consistent with those margins between the elements, but then going smaller between the elements within that package so people can tell where it's packaged. 
And we just work on it all the time. And as you know, most spreads are never done. And even once you publish them, you still wish you would have changed something. Did you have any of that like design or copy background before starting this? Because it's just like still blowing my mind that you've been doing this for 10 years and you are... Your yeah. book is what it is right now. How did you how did you learn all of that so fast? I had no design experience at all. I was an English teacher, um, but did not have a journalism background. So I'm great at teaching you how to write an essay, but the journalism piece, I didn't know. The first thing I did as far as journalism, I went and just asked the journalism teacher at the high school next door, like, hey, how do you do this? And she just handed me a bunch of books design, I started combing through all magazines, we would get the showcase yearbooks, try to deconstruct what they were doing. I think I have a pretty good eye for it. Like I know what I like, I just don't always know the technical terms. So I can tell kids, hey, I think this should move over here, we should do this. I don't always know why that is. I it just yeah, happens. Yeah. <laughs> and was it an active decision to try to make the book, you know, award winning? Where you like, okay, we want this to be an award winning book and here's how we're going to do it? Or was it just you were trying to make the best book for your school and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, the book we're creating is actually really good? <laughs> It was both. Mm -hmm. It was actually both. So as we work through from that year ten, year two to year 10, we felt like we were creating a really good book for our area, but we were kind of in this really cool San Diego bubble. And so we would go to our local San Diego camp that was a lot of fun. And we knew the yearbooks within our district and we felt like our book was better than theirs. Mm -hmm. I, sorry, everyone else in the district. <laughs> um, so we kept looking at that. We were actually doing the critiques, but honestly didn't know a lot about the award system. And then year nine, year no, yeah, year nine, we actually found out about this camp at Long Beach, yearbooks at the beach. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, hey, let's go up there. And we actually got our butts kick there. <laughs> we we didn't understand how hard it was to be a great book. And we went and we were happy and we were kind of the big fish in San Diego. So we thought, no problem. We're going to go to Long Beach. And we sat down with Paul Ender, who told us our first version. And I love Paul. And I thank God for him every day for mentoring us. But he told us that what we were doing looked like mint chip ice cream. <laughs> and yeah, there were a lot of tears at yearbooks <laughs> at the beach. And it just sort of went on from there. But that was what we needed to propel us forward. So I actually was scared that the kids would fold a little bit after that conference because they really were told quite honestly what their design looked like and um, their story and they were pushed and they came home and it we went through probably eight different versions of what our 2018 book became but as it started going, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And the colors and everything just finally started popping. And so 
it was, yeah, just kind of that combination. Yeah. How did you keep them motivated through that? Because I remember going to yearbook camp and having my idea be like, no, that is not right. And like coming up with being really upset and coming up with another and being like, okay, there it is. I can't imagine doing that eight times. (laughs) (laughs) It Oh my goodness. I I wish my editor was here to go through this with us. Um, It was so hard. Um, And there were conflicts between the personalities, the older kids. I actually had a younger editor that year. So she was having trouble finding her own voice to explain what she wanted. And we suffered with a lot of tears, a lot of battles, but when it came and part of it was we had the verbal and we knew the story we wanted to tell. And all of the sudden the picture came and we had been fighting and fighting to put, we have a really cool architecture of our school and half the staff wanted the school library on the cover and it just never looked good. And then we put this football player on the cover and we're like, oh my gosh, that's it. Like that's the theme in a photo. And once that happened, it's like the whole book started fitting together and everyone was happier. Let's talk about how you train your staff because Mm. you say you have a lot of new staffers every year because of how scheduling works. What skills do you want your staffers to know by the time that they have to start production uh, for their first deadline? I've changed it every year. So I will be honest with every advisor out there. I haven't found the perfect system yet. I um, rely a lot on the set curriculum by Herf Jones. It's a fantastic tool. But um, I also set a six-week boot camp schedule. And we go week by week. We go through writing, we go through photography, we go through design, yearbook terms you need, how we usually have the theme by then. We're working, you know, on our 2020 theme right now. So we just week by week teach those skills. And without telling them, I'm having them do things that would go in the in the book. So I have them go out and I teach them interviewing skills. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to find some kids, we're going to interview them. And then with writing, we're starting to write those features and profiles with that. And then sometimes those will end up in the book, they don't always end up in the book. But we do about a six week cycle, and we'll be on the same cycle next year. So I've got my largest staff ever of 25 next year, but only three have had yearbook before. Oh, wow. And so what is that six week production cycle? Is it a six-week production cycle, you said? No, six-week training, and then we do a four-week production cycle. I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, so let's talk through that four-week production cycle because everyone, or a lot of staffs out there have a hard time with a production calendar or figuring out ways to produce content. So that first week is what? We call it plan. Okay. And everything's about planning. And we do um, group interviews. So if it's a, let's say a sports spread, we'll bring in the soccer boys and we interview them. What do you want on your page? What's going on this year? What's going to be your hardest, you know, game? You were the state champions last year. What's going on this year with the team? So we do a group um, comp. 
not a conference, but a group interview with them. We uh, send information out if it's a spread about sports. Those are the easiest kind of to talk about. We send out to the coaches, tell us what's going on with your team. What's a quote that you're using to motivate them this year? And we do all these kind of surveys. So everything's about planning the first week. I just, you can't do anything until you have a plan. You know, you can't start with the pretty, with the design until there's some kind of plan for that content. So week one is plan. Then week two is perform. You got to go out. You have to get those photos. You have to do the interviews and talk to those people. Now, we all know perform is going to go into third week sometimes. Mm -hmm. But week three is about producing. So getting it on the page and starting to get the feedback And then week four is feedback with editors, feedback with your team members, feedback with me. And um, that's the cycle that we work through. I think it's very interesting that you have these group interviews with the people that are going to be on this page. Because I think a lot of the times they'll ask the coach or just one person or just the captains. And I think you're missing a lot of perspective on what the team is um, if you're just asking the Mm -hmm. people that you deem important. Um, So how do those interviews work? Like, are they in a circle and like they're throwing questions at them or is it? more like a conversation or we try to make it conversational we do I do have them plan some questions ahead of time to ask and actually back up what we do before that is my editors go out and do one and we videotape it to teach the staff how to do it so this last year we did it with the band and we have a great band and they're very vocal so Mm -hmm. they're a great group to start with So we get, we bring in some snacks. Everyone's motivated by candy at the high school. So we bring in some candy, throw it on the table. We start the video camera rolling and we try to get them talking. I think it's key to have like probably five or six from the group if you can get that many because they will start talking to each other. And it's those side stories that are key to the coverage. So that's why we keep the camera rolling through the whole thing so that we can catch that and go back and look at it. So that's kind of our system. That's where we start. Are the questions like theme related or are they more like open-ended questions? Because Mary, like Mary Kay Downs at Chantilly sends out a survey that with questions about that relate to the theme so that that can kind of be their all the coverage device and not check some boxes that way. We do both. Mm -hmm. So we do survey our entire student body and that is more theme-based coverage. So we have a homeroom schedule at our school. So during the first month of school, we work with the principal. We get a day where we can send out the surveys to the whole homeroom. So everyone at school answers a survey. We ask them theme-based questions And then we cull through those and we actually classify them and keep them in a binder so that later we can go, oh, wait, you've got a story about this. Here we go. Here's 10 people. So we do keep those. Then 
the questions um, for the group. So we usually do it with, you know, band and choir and the sports teams and the more group coverage that we do. Those, there might be some theme coverage, but, um, you know, our theme is usually coming through in our modulars and that kind of stuff. So we're just trying to find what is the story of the year. And as we all know, kids might start with or staff might start with the questions but that might not be the story and i and that is i think one of the hardest yearbook skills to teach for them to be curious and find the story and usually the good story will come i I find from the kids talking to each other and not the interview question mm-hmm. right i want to pause on the stories because when we were making portfolio or showcase book, I was on the spread that had your book on it, and I'm a writer, so I like to sometimes zoom way in on InDesign where we've placed a JPEG of the spread, and I'm like at 600% reading the stories, of course. And it was about a student who was a model. Mm, yes. Yes. And I was like, I'm going to read this. And I was blown away by how well the story was written. And I was like, I'm going to look through the rest of this. And I was just so impressed because it a lot of schools are going more toward, you know, the alternative coverage, which is fine. But some books are like, we're not even putting copy in there anymore. It's just all quotes. And it hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> but... I'm just wondering how you teach the story writing because like the leads were great. Transitions were great. It was how stories are supposed to be written. And it's rare to find a book full of so many good stories. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Let me start with thank you. I have really worked hard in the last two to three years with interviewing and starting with that concept of story. And I think sometimes students are uncomfortable when they're doing an interview and it doesn't go where they think it's going to go and trying to teach them to be comfortable with that and to let the person tell their story. So an example of that from the current book that you haven't quite seen yet Mm -hmm. is... Oh, you have? No, soon. Soon. Yeah, soon, soon you'll see it. So... I have a student who she's only in 10th grade and she was interviewing a girl who moved to San Diego from the West Bank of Israel. And the student had come in and she was just doing some follow-up those last minute, like, can I just check a few details with you? And we sat down and we started talking to her and the most amazing story came out that wasn't the story that was originally on paper. And it was just this beautiful story about how in her town a missile had hit and formed a hole. And everyone talked about it for a day or two. And then you just stepped over it. Life uh-huh. goes on. And that became the headline, too. Life just goes on. So... I teach them to find those stories, and, and some of that comes from that survey and doing a good job with the survey, so then you have kids to pull from. And 
I have also done a lot of style imitation. So I pull other writers, tricks from English class. I pull other writers. We pull advertising copy. We deconstruct it. What's going on here? Now let's put it in your own words. And I think that that kind of imitation helps them develop their voice more. So we do uh, that. But again, it's if you can find the students who have a story to tell, it writes itself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do. That's awesome. I love that you bring in the people who are paid to write because they obviously know what they're doing. And a lot of times I don't know that, I mean, we know to do it with design, but not necessarily with writing. It's like, well, I know how to write because I've been writing essays for school and it's totally different. So... And I think that's another, they try to write a school essay Mm -hmm. and it isn't a school essay. Just give us a little tiny piece of this. I don't really care about the entire swim season, but tell me a story of one person on that swim team and what happened in one race in a way that I can feel it. Mm -hmm. And too often I think kids want a structure And that's where journalistic writing I have found is so much different than the writing that happens in my English classroom, because there isn't necessarily a structure to it. You have to let the story dictate the structure. And that has been an interesting thing for me as an English teacher. Also, is I notice more problems in the writing in my yearbook class than in my English class, because they fold when there's not a set structure. Oh, here's a topic sentence. Here's where I put my quoted evidence. And that doesn't happen in yearbook. How are you able, you say you imitate or pull articles to imitate and like get the voice of, but how are you kind of fostering that the voice coming through and fostering the storytelling aspect because I think a lot of um, staffs will get in a rut of the um, the set structure and mm-hmm. you know this is how we write this and this is how we should do this but really it's dependent on the voice and like what you're trying to convey mm-hmm. and voice is the hardest thing to teach. Um, so often we don't want to have a voice. It's, we have a fear of putting our own voice out there. So I think it is looking at what emotion do you feel when you read this other piece and looking at that mood and the tone that's created and deconstructing how the writer has established that tone and then trying to find it. So if you're telling a story about um, a student who has experienced tragedy from where she's lived before, you've got to be more serious when you're talking about that. It's got to be solemn because it has to tell her extraordinary story, but her story was also one of resilience. So there has to be that piece to it. So we talk about the emotion that they're trying to convey. I also have them read the story out loud and read it to me. And a lot of times when they read, then they can hear, oh, wait, this doesn't sound right, or it's stilted, or I sound like a robot. So you've got to also have them read it out loud to the advisor, to another student, to an editor, and that will help them too with developing that fluency and that voice in their writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that is 
very important to get across is that if you're stuck on an article or a mod or a caption, speaking what you've written out into the world, you hear those those things that aren't working and you're like, okay, well, I know I need to fix this phrase now. And then you can keep developing it and keep adding to it until you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm very happy with this and now I can move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and revision. Mm-hmm. It is not a single draft. You have to keep working through it. I don't know why a yearbook student will think that they can do it in one draft when it's a book somebody will keep for 50 years. Right. Please revise. Yes. <laughs> My, I did not like revising when I was in high school. So I'm like, it's done. Done. Yeah. But my favorite thing to think about is like, even me, like I don't post that much on social media, but when I do, I spend a lot of time on the words. And I know that the high school kids are like spending a whole day planning their Instagram caption, but they'll like write a caption for the yearbook and be like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, this is more important than that photo that you might delete later. <laughs> it, it baffles me and trying to develop you know, throughout the cycle of the production of a yearbook and working through those deadlines, it's really interesting as an advisor trying to lead them through that. So from the beginning, when you need to be really structured and teaching and directive with them, and then being, you know, moving into where you can coach them, and then where all I need to do is support when they need it to hopefully by the end, just uh, delegation. So it's really interesting, I think, always at where is a kid? And and they're all at different spots, too. I think it is interesting how you just described your role as an advisor. You start as kind of your hands on the range, you're guiding it, and then you're coaching, and then you're stepping back even more and stepping back even more and stepping back even more. And I think a lot of, especially new advisors, have a hard time letting go of the reins because it's, it's scary. Like kids, you know, make some not great decisions and Mm -hmm. having them take control is scary. So how did you kind of learn that that is something that a yearbook staff should do? Well, I think first and foremost, it's their book. So you have to go in with that perspective. I'm trying to guide them as best I can to finding a great story and producing a book that they're going to be proud of, but it isn't my book. So my job is to coach them through that and support them and help them to create the book. And I think another really important job that I have is teaching them life skills. And it's one of the few classes on campus where it really is a life skill class. So I need to give them the opportunities to take control, to be a leader, to teach their friend or teach their staff um, what to do and how to do it. And I feel like that's probably the most important job I have. If it creates a beautiful book in the process, that's a bonus. But my job is to create great kids and great people. Creating great kids and great people. I have written down, because I, you know, listen to all of Oprah's podcasts on the way here. Um, (laughs) I have all these, like, just phrases that they would say written down. And the one that stands out to me right now is, you need people who reinforce your best self. And Mm -hmm. um, I think a yearbook advisor is someone that, 
that is that comes naturally to because they're in this different type of class environment where you can see personality show through and growth in a different way and just being the person to um, be the sounding board or be the person to give encouragement. I think that's super important. Do you want to talk about this book at all that we haven't seen yet? Sure. Okay. It's How, beautiful. Is it? Yeah. What, do you think it's your best yet? Yes. I Definitely, it's our best yet. What's the theme? The theme is, I'll show you what it's like. How did that theme development come to be? It started in, well, it started about this time last year. But what we did was we looked at what story did we want to tell. It was our 10th year as a school And we knew that being the 10th year was going to be important, but we had a lot of discussion about was that going to be our emphasis. And in the end, the staffs decided not to emphasize it, that the book was about the students who went to Del Norte in 2018, 2019. So we would tribute that it was 10 years, but that it would not dominate the book. And we wanted to have a little bit softer approach. So the year before we were kind of in your face, we're remarkable. And so we wanted to just show what were the stories that were important to who we were. And we kept going through magazines and this one on the same day, five of us found the same ad from the state of Colorado, Hmm. but it was all different versions of it. But each of us had pulled it and we're like, this is it. This has to be it. And it was like this long kind of poetic form, which that same form is throughout our book. But we shortened their phrase and we made a tagline out of it and then went on from there. And it's just the topography's beautiful. It's so different from what we've done. I have to admit all the poetry in it. I was like, I don't know (laughs) if this is going to work, but it is gorgeous. Having five different people pull the same ad (laughs) uh, at different times on the same day is the biggest universe directing you that this is what you need to do that I've ever heard. It was. It I mean, I found it, I think I was at the beauty salon when I found it and my EIC had pulled it from something and then uh, the design editor pulled it and it all just kept appearing. And then like throughout the week, that ad kept showing up. Weird. That is the universe telling me that, yes, this is what I need to do. Yeah. I was reading your colophon and your students want you to be an influencer. Is that... (laughs) Is that something? What is this about? (laughs) Well, I don't know why they want me to be a social media influencer, probably because I'm the last person that would be. Um, So they, we always have these weird inside things. Like we name all of our colors, like crazy names. And it started out, I love organization shows And so I probably should not admit this, but my freezer has everything labeled in it. It's all in its place. My pantry is like this. And they keep telling me that I should start 
posting all of this stuff and showing other people. I'll talk to them, oh, in my garden, and I did this, and I did that. And I love design and decorating in my home, and they just think that I should have my own <laughs> social media presence. <laughs> so we follow funny. you. I would follow it. Thank you. You're welcome. Another random one before we get to the truly random ones. What's it like to live in San Diego? Oh, San Diego. Um, <laughs> San Diego. Have you always lived there? I have. Okay. I have. I actually work in the same district where I went to school. Wow. So San Diego is one of America's greatest cities. I think it's beautiful. The weather is fantastic. There's always something to do. There's the beach. We're close to the mountains. There's the desert. It's pretty perfect. (laughs) It's It's pretty perfect. I mean, not to diss on Indiana and Indianapolis, but... (laughs) It's probably a little bit better. (laughs) It's probably a little bit better than than that. (laughs) But Indianapolis is nice. It's nice. It is nice. It's just cold. It's cold. It is cold. And flat. Well, I mean, it's great. Coming from California, we had some rain this year, so we have spent the entire winter lamenting how horrible the weather has been. So we finally had something this year. (laughs) What have you learned from watching your students put together your book? How much work it is. So I've done a few things in my career. I have coached swimming. I have advised ASB and now yearbook. And honestly, until I did it, I had no idea what went into it. And it's not just work. It's it's their heart and their soul. And they give everything to the book, which is why sometimes in yearbook, you get a lot more tears than in other classes. And I just, I never realized how much truly went into what they do and really what they accomplish. When you think about an eight or a 10 month cycle and they're producing 300 pages, I don't know how it happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. Switching topics completely okay if you have you watched friends do you watch Mm -hmm. friends so if you were a friends character which one would you be and why (laughs) well i think that maybe rachel Mm -hmm. and well one she had great hair (laughs) and that's you do have really great hair so so that would (laughs) be one for a long time i tried to imitate her hair like she would go straight and i'd do it then she'd be wavy and i'd do it (laughs) but she I don't, she just was always fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other question that we've asked a lot today oh, yes. is... I love this question. <laughs> if you uh, could adapt a novel into a Netflix show or movie, what would you adapt and who would be your favorite character? Like, who would play your favorite character? Wow, that's a crazy hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Haley's gotten a, good, a lot of good book yeah, recommendations. Yeah, three this. book recommendations. I'm excited. I wow! I, I wish I had time to read a book. <laughs> my goodness. Um, well, I, I mean, my favorite kind of crazy classic book is East of Eden, mm-hmm. and just because there's some dark characters in it. Mm-hmm. So, who would I have? I need a dark, evil character to play Kathy. Kathy Bates. <laughs> Kathy Bates from um, Misery. Oh, yes. Yes. 
So I that is my favorite book, and I and it deserves more time than just one movie. So I think it's got to be maybe a whole series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> the other one that I asked today. So I didn't realize that Whoopi Goldberg was a stage name for Whoopi Goldberg. You know, like it that's is? her stage name. Yeah, it's oh. a stage name. So what would your stage name be? If and you I were like an actor or an actress. And I can't take Christopher Robin. Yeah, you <laughs> Oh, goodness. I've always wanted to be a Raquel. Don't tell my parents that. Actually, they said they were going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, I don't know. It just always seems so sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So I, I would go with Raquel for my first name. And I... I just love my last name. I think I'd keep it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Raquel Christopher. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> so we always end these the same way with um, a paper plate award. So who would you like to give a paper plate award to? It can be somebody in the yearbook world, somebody just in your life who deserves a shout out. All right. So I've thought a little bit about this <laughs> and I have been very fortunate in my yearbook career that I had the right mentors at the right time. So when I started my career and I needed support and coaching and someone to infuse humor into that, I had Steve Bailey and Tamara Bailey. And um, sorry, we lost Steve this year. So um, really lucky and thankful because I don't think I would have kept doing the journey if I hadn't had that support from Steve and Tamara. And then in the last two years, I've had Elizabeth Diebler and she really has been passionate and this breath of fresh air and propelled us and told us that we were good enough that we could submit our books for awards and that we could win them. And I didn't believe her and she's been there with us. So I think just having those two mentors through yearbook has been super important to me and I'm, or three mentors cause Tamara. So I just appreciate all of them. Yeah. Well, thank you, Robin, for sitting down with us and thank good luck you. this afternoon in the finalist, right? Thank you. Yes. So exciting. <laughs> I feel like we've already won though. Yes, so we're you good. have. Yes, you have. That is what Ann Akers likes to say um, as well. What, if you're a finalist, you won and that, that I think is the biggest recognition that one can get is being up with all these books that, you know, you look up to and you are like, I want to be that and being in the same category as them is very special. So good luck this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.